the word has been preached already. I don't know how else can I follow. But I'm extremely grateful to be here this morning. I'm thankful to the preaching faculty and to all of my mentors and peers who have guided me to, to this day, who have guided me in the faithful proclamation of Jesus Christ. Let us pray before we begin. Our good and holy God, you who have been present from the beginning, make your presence known to us even now. And use me, even me, Lord, a man of unclean lips. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our Lord and our God. Let me start with a question. How many of you here have been called to jury duty? How many of you have done it? Okay, oh, almost half of you. Uh, so whether or not you have done it, uh, just imagine for a second that you got that dreaded letter in the mail and <laughs> you go to the courthouse, you go like right downtown Waco over there and you get there praying really hard that you're not gonna be selected. You're in that big room and then someone calls your name, they do the, your intake interview and they select you. When the procedures began, they start calling the first witness, the second witness, the third witness. You realize that, that this is a case of auto theft. Someone stole a car and is being judged for it. And the third witness is Mr. Jones, who supposedly saw what happened. So the prosecutor begins the cross-examination with the obvious question. So Mr. Jones, tell us what you saw that day. And Mr. Jones begins talking about all of these statistics about auto theft in America and how of a plague it is in our nation, how bad it is. And he goes on and on until the prosecutor interrupts him and says, thank you, but can you tell us about what you saw? Once again, Mr. Jones goes back to his statistics and fancy speech and everything until the prosecutor interrupts one more time and says, sir, do you have anything to tell us about what you saw? Mr. Jones nods quietly and is dismissed. Mr. Jones was using all of his fancy vocabulary and statistics because he was actually an expert in auto theft prevention, one of the best in the state. But on that trial, he hadn't been called there to tell us what he thought about it. He hadn't been called to report what he saw. He was called to proclaim what he knew. He wasn't called as an expert, even though he was one. He was called as a witness. Like Mr. Jones, when it comes to the gospel, we are not called to be gospel experts. We are called to be gospel witnesses. As we wrap up the semester in a theological seminary within a tier one research university, the Apostle John reminds us that we proclaim the one we know. 
We proclaim the one we know because people listen to authentic witnesses over detached ideas. Look at verse 1. What we have heard, what we have seen, what we have looked at and touched. And John repeats this formula several times throughout this passage because he's dealing with people who are struggling to believe that Jesus was a real human being. Someone made of flesh and bones like you and me. And even though John is very educated, if you've studied the, the epistles, you know that the Johannine community is a highly educated community. He knows that no amount of fancy philosophy of rebuscated speech is going to convince people. Because people listen to authentic witnesses over detached ideas. And the words of a preacher to a community that's struggling to believe should sound very relatable to us. Because we live in the age of doubt. Arguably, our problem runs even deeper than John's. John's audience struggled to believe that Jesus was a real human being. Our audience struggles to believe that Jesus is real. And to be fair to postmodern secularism, people don't doubt just Christianity. People doubt everything. The French philosophy, philosopher Jean-Francois Loitard described postmodernity as incredulity towards meta-narratives. People are conditioned to doubt anything that tries to explain everything. People doubt pastors but also doctors, theologians, but also scientists. 2020, y'all, 2020. <laughs> you remember this. <laughs> we live in the age of doubt. Nevertheless, human beings are created to believe. Human beings are, have this yearning, this desire, this tendency to attach themselves to something, to believe something. And what we have seen is that people believe people. We reject experts, but flock towards influencers. Right? We, we don't want to hear what the experts have to say, but if someone is saying this on TikTok, yes, we are all into that kind of stuff. We buy things on Amazon, not just because it's convenient or sometimes cheaper, but also because we want to read the reviews. We want to know about the experience of real people, authentic witnesses. And that's, the exactly, that's exactly the model that Jesus left for us. It's almost as if he knew what he was doing. Before he ascended to the Father, Jesus didn't say, you will be my experts. He said, you will be my witnesses. You will proclaim the one you know. You will tell the world about your experience of me. Now, if you've been following this argument, your next logical question is, what am I doing here then? If it's all about my experience, why should I spend three, five, seven years in this seminary? <laughs> fair, fair question. If it's all about my experience, why should I wake up at 
you know, 8 a.m. on a Sunday to go to church, or 7 or 6 if you're a pastor. Why should I do this? If it's all about my experience, why can't I just stay home and experience Jesus by myself? Because it's not about my experience. It's not about your experience. It's about our experience. It's about all of y'all's experience. It's about the experience of the church, the experience of the community of saints, and not just the saints gathered around us, but the saints that came before us. It's about the experience of the prophets and of the apostles and of the saints of church history who together point us towards Jesus. We're here at Truett Seminary during the week. We're at church on Sundays so that we can learn and join our voice to this great cloud of authentic witnesses as we proclaim the one we know because people listen to authentic witnesses over detached ideas. And our authentic witness happens as we stand amazed in God's presence. We proclaim the one we know as we stand amazed in God's presence. The text begins with, we declare to you what was from the beginning. In the Greek text, the first words are actually that which was from the beginning. And the, the author is very intentional with these first words because this letter is connected to the Gospel of John, which is connected to Genesis. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That which was from the beginning is that through whom all things that were made were made. Is that which was from the beginning? Is that about whom John is talking about? Is that who John experienced? John is proclaiming the word of life, the word of eternal life, who was in the beginning, who do be, has been, and will forever be. He is proclaiming that which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning is that which is independent, completely holy, who doesn't need you or me for anything, but chooses to reveal himself to you and me. Think about that for a second. You're not here this morning because you got good grades, got a scholarship into Truett and decided to come here. You're not here this morning because the tenure committee th said that you could stay. You're not here this morning because I invited you to see me preach. You're here this morning because Jesus Christ, that which was from the beginning, in some mysterious way has touched your life, has called you to follow him, perhaps has called you to be a minister, that which was from the beginning has reached you. And in light of such a wonderful miracle, in light of this reality, Karl Barth reminds us that there cannot be such a thing as a great theologian. There cannot be such a thing as a great Bible scholar or as a great preacher or as a great Christian. In light of this revelation, 
we are all little theologians. Even those of us who have published 24 commentaries on the New Testament on top of being a pickleball star. <laughs> and I am talking about Dr. Garland, yes. If you didn't know the pickleball part, yes, uh, he's good at it. But when my, my second semester at Truett, Dr. Garland divided our class in groups and assigned each group a 45-minute presentation on a portion of the book of Revelation. And if you ever had to do a 45-minute presentation, you begin to really value the work of your professors because it's a lot of time to fill up. So when I realized that our presentation included chapter 5, I thought, wow, we can play the Revelation song. That video that's sung in several different languages, worthy is the, you know, you don't want me to keep singing. But <laughs> when we play the video, and when the video is over, we switch the lights on and turn to Dr. Garland so that he may wrap up class. But he has no words to say. Only tears flowing from his eyes as he stands amazed in the presence of the one he proclaims. In that moment, I realized that he stood there not as the renowned New Testament scholar that I know him to be. He stood there as a little theologian, as one who stands amazed in God's presence. Up to that point, I had learned a lot of, the thing, a lot of things about the Bible from Dr. Garland. It's the end of the semester in Revelation. But in that moment, everything we had learned made sense in a whole other level. Because when I saw Dr. Garland standing amazed in God's presence, I experienced his proclamation to me. When I saw him amazed in God's presence, I was amazed by his God. Because we proclaim the one we know as we stand amazed in his presence. We proclaim the one we know because people listen to authentic witnesses over detached ideas. We proclaim the one we know as we stand amazed in God's presence. And finally, we proclaim the one we know so that people may have fellowship with us. Look at verse 3. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Friends, when you realize the miracle of God's revelation, when you realize that God's love extends as far as to touch a sinner like me, I can reach no other conclusion than to believe that there is room for everyone. And that room may be right by my side. When I served in college ministry, one of our usual practices was to periodically run through a list of, the st of students' names to, to see if there was someone who was feeling excluded, someone who hadn't found community in our ministry yet. And one day, we get to this student's name, and I made this comment. I said, well, yeah, this student, the cousin, doesn't really have friends here, but that's not really our fault. They are kind of socially awkward. 
My pastor looked at me very graciously, with much more grace than I deserved in that moment, and said, I understand what you mean, but if not here, where? If this student doesn't have fellowship with us, where would they find it? Folks, there's no remote work in gospel work. If we were called to be experts, we could just tell that student about the love of Jesus and let them be. If you were called to be experts, you could just write some good papers and get A's in all of your classes. If you're called to be experts, you could just do some groundbreaking research, publish a bestseller, and let it be. If you're called to be bestsellers, we can just preach. If you're called to be experts, we could just tell people. But we are not called to be experts. We are called to be witnesses. And witnesses don't give directions. Witnesses walk alongside. Witnesses don't say, go there. Witnesses say, come with me. Witnesses invite people to have fellowship with us. Because ultimately, our fellowship, the end of verse 3 says, is with this Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing, we are saying all of these things, verse 4, so that our joy may be complete. Or is that your joy? Does your version say your joy? Our joy? Your joy? Well, the Greek manuscripts are kind of unclear here, but I will, I'm going to tap into my Latino heritage and say, ¿Por qué no los dos? It's our joy and it's your joy and our, it's all of our joy that is complete. When we proclaim the one we know as authentic witnesses instead of experts, when we proclaim the one we know as we stand amazed in his presence, we are humbled to such an extent that we can only do one thing, which is to invite people to have fellowship with us, to share in the fellowship of the Father and the Son with us, so that together we can all experience his joy. My brothers and sisters, as you wrap up this semester, putting final paper, final touches on exegetical papers, studying for difficult finals, trying to meet that one deadline so that you can enjoy summer with your family. As you go to the everyday life that you're gonna live today, I invite you to stop and notice the miracle of God's revelation in your life, in the life of your sister, of your brother. Because as much as we rejoice in the life of the mind, as much as we love hearing and learning and reading the truths of God, hearing this place in the books, in the libraries, as much as this is good work, at the end of the day, 
We are called to do one thing and one thing only. We are called to proclaim the one we know. Let's pray. Our good and holy God, you who are from the beginning, you who reveal yourself to us, you we thank and you we exalt. In your presence we stand in awe so that our am amazement may also be our proclamation as authentic witnesses. Bless us, Lord. Give us guidance, give us wisdom, and above all, give us love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.